to the sixth podcast in the IAS series, Life in the Time of Coronavirus. Here you can listen to Lionel Bailly, Honorary Senior Lecturer in the Psychoanalysis Unit at UCL, share his experience as a psychoanalyst and child and adolescent psychiatrist during the lockdown. Bailly reflects on the importance of physical presence in the therapeutic encounter and on the effects of virtual forms of exchange and communication on his practice with his young patients. My practice as a child and adolescent psychiatrist in the NHS was suddenly changed in the month of March 2020 when, due to new measures, social distancing was required and I was told that most of the young people I saw face-to-face in my sessions I now had to contact by telephone or through video link. From one day to the other, without any preparation, the rules of the engagement changed. Initially, I thought that they, the young ones, would have absolutely no problem with that and that I would struggle. I was rapidly surprised because most of my patient felt absolutely horrified at the idea that they would have to speak to me on the telephone, on their telephone, or on their computer, a space that until then was entirely preserved and reserved to the interaction with their peer group. What they found difficult was that suddenly they were asked to talk on the phone about their difficulties. And in some ways, the rules are that they should speak truly, meaningfully, that they should open up. That contrasted for a large majority of them with the slightly reserved, sulky distancing attitude that they adopted. And the I don't know in the sessions, the grunts for an answer, or the few words said after a long silence, were suddenly not going very far in the session. Mostly, they suddenly heard on the phone what they were saying. And a lot of them preferred, actually, to not speak to me. It is possible that they struggled reconciliating the idea of the virtual world that they thought was devoted to a co-construction of a virtual reality in which 
they had an opportunity to shine, where they could have many likes, where their avatars are brilliant and beautiful or scary. Suddenly, they were asked to use this edifice to communicate about themselves and not their virtual self to someone who did not belong to that community. Many preferred to wait and they often told me, well, actually, why don't we resume these sessions when the social distancing is over? Other, sometimes the more mature, and by this I mean the more adult-like young people, the one whose functioning is more akin to that of an adult, on the contrary, saw it as an opportunity. It was an opportunity to engage in a different way, because away from me, they felt less inhibited, sometimes even a bit disinhibited, so that they could talk, talk more, and maybe talk more in-depth about their problems. However, what I noticed was that while they could go further intellectually, cognitively, they had still some great difficulties associating what they said with what they felt. It's as if this intellectual and deeper discourse was divorced from their emotional reality. It was described, but it was not experienced in the same way. And it might not have been experienced in the same way because an ingredient is missing. And the ingredient is the physical presence of the other. And how my presence is also physical for the other who is listening to me. In other words, there is something particular that happens in the psyche when I am in the presence of the reality of the body of the other. Intuitively, we know that. You may have seen many photographs of somebody and then one day you meet them as the expression says, in the flesh. And then it's different. You know how people suddenly tell all their friends that in the street they saw this famous person. What's the difference? They have seen before that famous person virtually in films, in videos, in photos, thousands of times. But one day they were there with him or with her. This is also 
an important component of my work when I'm asked to assess, in the sense of, of psychiatry or mental health, a patient. I discovered that while I could gather probably more information when speaking on the phone or through Zoom or any other video link, the quality of my findings was different. And that to be sure of what was happening, I needed something that came from that chemistry of two bodies in the presence of each other. That suddenly a different form of communication was triggered, almost like an electric short circuit, and that emotions were experienced. Expressions were read. Silence had a different consistency. And that I was becoming able to form an opinion about someone's difficulties. When the list of the behaviors, the list of the symptoms, the extensive timeline that I could get through the phone did not give me half of that. It's interesting because at a time where we are told that virtual medicine is probably the way forward, it became clear to me that in this particular field of mental health, there is something that virtual medicine utterly fails to achieve. It's important because, as we know, the NHS tends to think very much in terms of cost. And I would not be surprised if some clever manager had the idea that actually, with virtual contact with patients, we could see far more people. That would be probably overall, and certainly in my field with young people, a very bad idea. Thanks for listening. But thanks also to Lionel Bailly. Do send us your feedback and proposals at a.brenchat at uci.nc.uk. Music is by Small House and the BBC Sound Archive. Communications are by Patricia Mascarelli-Jumbard. In production and edition are by me, Albert Benchat-Aguilar. Executive producer is Tamar Garp. Look after yourselves and others and see you soon.